0: Welcome to the season of Lent. This is a period of 40 days, not including Sundays, because every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection, Easter, yes. So 40 days that really anticipate two of the most significant events in the Christian year, the crucifixion of Jesus on Good Friday and the resurrection of Jesus on Easter, Lent is, in the words of C.S. Lewis, a season of a kind of happiness and wonder that makes you serious. Many of you are using the devotional book, A Journey Through Lent, which follows along with the theme of our small group study by Dr. Timothy Keller. If you are, we want you to know that on Sunday mornings, we'll be anticipating the coming week's group meetings and the readings um, by looking at seven aspects of prayer during these seven weeks. We began this last Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, with the prayer of confession. And today we begin thinking and talking about the prayer of seeking, having to do with prayer when we face fear and/or or suffering, prayer-seeking. Each week, our groups are hearing and watching teaching from Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, and each prayer corresponds to an Old Testament psalm. On Sunday mornings, we're going to be looking at a New Testament passage that corresponds to the kind of prayers that the groups will be covering that week. So, Sunday mornings will serve to lay a foundation or to kind of set the table. For the week, whether you're reading the devotional book, or you're attending a group, or both. So that's where we're going for these these seven weeks. So today, prayer during times of trouble, suffering, or fear. It's been said that the most frequent and fervent prayer that falls on the ear of God is the one-word prayer. Help! (laughs) Help! Sometimes referred to as a prayer of desperation or maybe a foxhole prayer. When you feel completely alone in your suffering and you're at the end of your rope, you may find yourself praying this way. Just help. Sometimes it's accompanied by a bargaining process. God, if you can get me out of this one, I will Some promise. So what Paul is suggesting here in Romans 8 is actually both so much grander and more beautiful than simply using God as a lifeline when things get really bad. He basically takes us up to 35,000 feet and says... Here is the really big picture, the global picture of what happens when we pray. So keep that in mind this morning. What happens when we pray, especially when we come to God in times of trouble, times of seeking? What Paul teaches here in this passage we heard, which is wide ranging and huge, Romans 8 is really seen as the centerpiece of Paul's theology on on what happens in Jesus Christ. So this is is an amazing, brilliant perspective. It, it, It takes in all of creation. And he articulates here that something that followers of Jesus have believed since the earliest, earliest days. Namely, that in Jesus coming to earth, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, what we see is the beginning of what God has in mind for not only you and me, but also for all of creation. Restoration. God is restoring what has been broken by sin. You see it in verse 19. The creation waits with Eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. God is doing something in all the world in restoring. Basically that someday there will be a total setting free from bondage. Verse 21. And in Jesus, his his life, his death, his resurrection, we have received the first fruits of this restoration. Verse 23. But then there's more. And we, we live in hope for it. Verses 24 and 25. We live between the, the already of possessing the first fruits of the Spirit and the not yet of our, our present mortal experience. We live in a world of pain and of suffering. To quote theologian George Eldon Ladd, we live in a time of already and not yet. Something has begun when Jesus came, was died and crucified and rose again. It was begun, but we live in a time of not yet because it hasn't totally been fulfilled yet in the second coming of Christ. So we live in this time And it was actually expressed in what the kids sang this morning. Did you hear it? This is my father's world, and let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world, the battle is not done. See, we're in the middle. Jesus who died will be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. There's all a creation. This is why we need the hymns, because they express this amazing theology. Now, I realize this is a lot. This is a big picture of a theology. It's a big picture of what the coming of Jesus means for this world. But get this. Right after describing this big picture, Paul begins to draw our attention to our access point in all of this. Verses 26 and 27. Our access point in this is prayer. We enter in to this waiting expectation, ever groaning by prayer. Now right away some may be thinking, well that's a problem because I really don't know how to pray. Prayer is a bit of a problem for me because I don't really know how to do it. Well, surprisingly, Paul would agree with you in that statement. <laughs> in verse 26, saying, none of us knows how to pray as we ought, but that God has made it possible through his spirit to intercede. Literally, the Holy Spirit acts as, an, as a go-between between us and God. Even when we don't have words, the Spirit uses sighs too deep for words. I often think of this when I'm visiting those in the hospital who are either anticipating surgery or who have recently had a surgery and there's a lot of pain involved. If you go to the hospital and you visit someone who's lying in a hospital bed, you will find people in pain. And It's difficult to be with them when they're in their pain, but one of the things you see and you hear when you're with someone in that place is they will often groan or sigh. I hear this a lot in my hospital visits. uh, You heard that before? Or just a sigh. It actually says a lot, doesn't it? It says things that words cannot express. And this is what the Holy Spirit uses to communicate with God on our behalf, Paul says. So prayer is really accessible to all of us. Even if you don't think you can get the right words together, none of us really can. Even if you are in so much pain, you can't come up with what to say to God. The Holy Spirit has a way of being able to communicate that. Even if the pain is too deep or the problems are too big. So I want us to notice that this passage this morning is like a grand invitation to enter into this life of prayer. This way of communicating with God. Yes, we live in the already and the not yet. We're in this between time. All of creation is waiting and groaning. Paul is saying, though, hey, enter in. Look to God in prayer, especially when you're experiencing or aware of fear or suffering or trouble. Because in spite of your pain and the related questions about this, actually in the midst of it all, there is an answer you might have huge questions. But questions are good because there's an answer. Speaking of questions and answers, look at verse 31. Here is a question. What are we to say about these things? Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Then all of these possible challenges to our connection with Christ are listed. Hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. And then in verse 38, <clears throat> this wild, wide-ranging list of human spiritual experiences listed. Death, life, angels, rulers, present, future, powers, height, depth. Anything in creation, he says. The question is, what can separate us from the love of God in Christ when things get bad, when the suffering is horrible? This is the basic question. Sometimes it's stated like this. If God is loving, then why is this happening to me or to others? This is the big question, is it not? When bad things happen to good people, how can you believe in a a God of love? In Paul's words, what can separate us from the love of God? Paul is teaching here that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. This is the total answer. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But sometimes this doesn't make sense, especially in the midst of pain. Sometimes you need to see it in action in order to understand it. Consider this. There was another famous question and answer in the New Testament. Remember the woman in John chapter 8? She was apprehended by self-righteous men in her community and caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Picture this scene. She's cowering in the dirt, waiting for the first stone to come crashing down on her head. She's in abject terror, anticipating the cruel and painful death by stoning. She looks up and all the men have disappeared and there's only one man left. And what's he doing? He's asking a question. Where are they? Does no one condemn you? She says, No one, master. He says, Neither do I. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. Do you hear an echo of that same question? Who will separate you from the love of God? The one who waits for you with open arms. The answer No one. Oh, the relief of this. The astonishment. We too can look around and see this. Verse 1 of Romans 8. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, our 35 thousand foot view of it all is this. When you're in pain, when you're in trouble, suffering, seek God. At 6.42 this morning I got a text message from a former youth group member of this church. She lives a far away, far away now, but she's going through a tough time. She was reaching out for help. Her last words in her text were, "How do I find the strength?" I wrote back saying that I'm always hesitant to offer advice from thousands of miles away, <laughs> but that last question was an invitation to say something that's always true. So I wrote to her, simply, talk to God. I know this seems trite and simple, but I have found that telling God how you honestly feel is the best source of personal strength. Jeremiah 29, 13 says it this way, when you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. And I finished by saying, those who find God find strength. It's as simple as that. Lent is a season of getting back to what's most important prayer. And we have a God who invites us to pray when things go wrong, when we're afraid, when We are suffering or in trouble, even when we don't have the words. And here's that, here's the picture that is drawn for us in Romans chapter 8. This God who waits for you with open arms, who loves you deeply, so deeply that he gave himself for you, sacrificing himself for you in Jesus, so that you, when you are suffering, When you're afraid, when you're in pain, you can know his presence. You are never, ever, ever alone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for this glorious promise. I thank you, God, for holding us when we're in trouble. I pray, Father, for anyone today who is feeling desperate. You would give them the courage just to seek you and be in your presence, even if they don't have the words. Lord, for those of us who are going to be Uh, reading that little book this week or meeting with our small group and listening to this teaching from Psalm 34, Lord, speak to us once again about your, your words of hope. Restore in us, Lord, what has been broken by sin and death. Bring new life to our hearts once again, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you as you bring your offerings to the Lord this morning. May the act of giving to him, back to him, bring you deep joy. Amen.